What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So, Song of Songs, uh, chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, as if you've been following along, are the description of the king who is Solomon, but we're saying that that we're teaching this as if the king is Jesus. He's describing his bride in these nine verses. As he speaks over her and as she stands in him, all of these attributes are yes and amen in her. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 He talks about being found in Christ. I think it's verse 9. I want to be found in Christ. And as we receive the gospel, and as the gospel takes root in our lives, we too are found in Christ. And so 7 through 9 are descriptions on what we have in Christ. And so... If you look at verse 1, it says, How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. We've already discussed this, but the reality is that bare feet represents poverty, but sandals represent royalty. The prodigal son came home who was barefoot and poor and destitute, and the father immediately said, Put sandals on his feet. And because of Christ, we all are wearing sandals. We are all royalty. You see the next part. Oh, noble daughter. Do you know that you're noble in Christ? Well, I don't feel noble. Who cares about your feelings? It's what God says. I don't feel like my sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. That's what the cross screams. That's what the blood has declared. And so sometimes our feelings, even though we don't stuff them down, we acknowledge them and we bring them to the light of God's word and we see, wait a minute, I've been fooled by my feelings. And I have to renounce those feelings because they're not from God. And so when we really have verse 1 down, we cry out and we say, Jesus, I just received the fact that I am now royalty. Because of the cross, I'm no longer barefoot. Because of the cross, I no longer have the shame of my past, the shame of my poverty. I have shoes fitted for the gospel. Thank you for what you've done, Jesus. And the reason why we've been going slow through these nine verses is so that we have an understanding of our identity and what God has declared over us, not for information purposes, but so that we can take this word and begin to pray it to the Lord and say, God, help me to walk like I am in the royal family. Help me to walk like I am yours. Help me to walk like I'm your beautiful bride. Help me to walk like I have no flaw in me. Help me to walk, God, without shame. 
And again, this isn't a Bible study. This isn't a Bible study. This is us to take in as reality so that we move differently in the world. And when we're truly convinced of the love of God, there's no fear. We're not care, we don't care who accepts or rejects. We're just free. As I was singing all the way here this morning, ten years ago, you you would have thought I was trying to pray paint off the wall of my car. Oh God, please move! Oh God, please have your way! Speak to me! Fire God! Fire God! Fire God! Please God, burn! 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 I pray for those that are coming. Here's to here. Here's here. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But today. Lord, I, I know you're going to do what you're going to do because you love these people more than I ever could. Help them to believe what you've declared. Help them, God, to receive. Give them ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And the focus is not on my performance, by the way, because we want to get to the place where we care less about the performance. And my focus is on the message and prayer that people really would receive this. And so, Chris, why are you going so long with that? Because I'm just gently rebuking every one of you that's complained we've been in chapter 7, 1 through 9 way too long. (laughs) So, With that being said, I want to do something a little bit different today. And so, Jeremy, I don't know if you're kind of queued up, but this song is is a song that um, sometimes I just sit back and I just kind of put my hands out like this and I just receive. I just receive. The words are going to be on the screen so you can see them. But for us today... If we don't receive the love of God and how he feels about us, we're going to miss the purpose of chapter 7, 1 through 9. So, Jeremy, go ahead, please. The love inside of you is so pure, it's so
Father, break off every false belief that has you in heaven looking down, waiting for us to make mistakes, waiting for us to mess up, waiting for us with a scowl on your face to judge us. Jesus, you love us. And the cross, the cross, the cross, You took the wrath that we deserved on that cross and the wrath of God was satisfied so that no more, no more, no more for those of us who are in Christ, are you ever frowning? You're smiling. You're rejoicing. We are your bride. And you sing over us. You delight in us. 
And God, we just pray, Lord, that, that these verses that we've read, that we are captivating to you. With one glance of our eyes, we overwhelm your heart. God, would you make these become a reality so that we could walk intoxicated by your love, completely convinced so that no matter what happens, it really doesn't matter because we're loved by you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. 7A, please. 7, Song of Songs, 7A. We're going to get to B, but hold your horses. It says, your stature, it's like a palm tree. A palm tree? Yeah, palm tree. Jeremy, throw up a palm tree. In our day, in our uh, where we live in Florida, right? Coconuts. But this would be something from the land of Israel um, where these clusters, these very large clusters here. And so understand that when God views you, he views you in a certain way through the lens of his cross and you are, you are planted in him. I want you to keep your place here and so turn to Psalm 92, please. Psalm 92 you see, I referenced Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 earlier, where it talks about, I want to be found in Christ and nothing else. But the context of that passage is the Apostle Paul was saying, he's like, hey, I'm a, an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee, to the law blameless. But you know what? Compared to being found in Christ, all of that in the Greek word there is dung, it's it's rubbish. It is that poop emoji. So his ethnicity, Hebrew, tribe of Benjamin, dung. Some of you are offended by that. Don't be. It's the Bible. Compared to understanding who you are in Christ, my ethnicity by the way, I'm Hawaiian. I got the Hawaiian shirt on today. I didn't plan that. But it's dung compared to being found in Christ. And see, here's the deal. Some of us don't believe that. Some of the white males in here, I'm not looking at anybody. You've gotten so triggered because you've been called an oppressor check your privilege. And see, because you were standing in your white maleness and you weren't standing in Christ, you got offended. And it goes the other way, right? People standing in their ethnicity on the flip side, they get all offended. Why? Because that's their identity. Their identity's in that. No, 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 no. We're dead and it's only Christ. And so I don't ever get offended by race stuff. I don't get offended like the rest of the world. I don't move like the rest of the world. Why? Because I look at everybody as if they're in Christ. Because that's the greatest defining thing about their life. And their level of melanin really doesn't matter to me. Because I know that's not who they are. Psalm 92.12, see... 
It says the righteous flourish like a what? Palm tree. You're called to flourish, Christian. To grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. Say, I'm planted in the house of the Lord. Woo! In Christ, you're planted in the house of the Lord. You can't be moved. You can't be brought out. You are his house now. You're in his house now. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will what? Dwell in the what? House of the Lord forever. Why? Because I'm born again. I'm a palm tree in the house of God, and I cannot be moved. Palm trees find their waterway water underground. Palm trees have the capacity to endure the dry seasons. They have long lives with deep roots that can outlast a drought. They flourish in the courts of their God. They bear fruit in old age. Verse 14, Psalm 92, they are ever full of sap and green. This is who we are in Christ. This is who we are in Christ. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. As we are planted in God, we're like a palm tree that can never be moved in the courts of God. So that's the first thing I want you to get from the palm tree. Its roots grow grow deep and, 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 and they grow tall and exceptionally high and they're planted in the house of the Lord. The second thing that I want you to get from the palm tree, it has to do with our posture, our posture. A palm tree, when the wind blows, they bend, but they don't break. And because our identity is in Christ, people can say whatever they want. They can treat me however they want. They can, they can backbite me, stab me, whatever they want to do. I'm going to bend. I'm not going to break. I'm not going to be moved. It doesn't really matter what they say. And it really doesn't matter what happens. Habakkuk 3.17 says this. Listen, even though the fig trees have no blossoms... And there's no grape on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, even though the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Why? Because we bend, we don't break. Proverbs 24, 16, a righteous person falls seven times. How many times do you get back up? There you go. Why? Because we bend, we don't break. We turn the other cheek when someone hits us, and we keep moving forward in Christ. We bend, we don't break. The palm tree was a sign, this is the third thing, of victory and confidence. I want you to, 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 to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven, please. So the palm tree represents victory. Some of you that are in Christ are walking around like, when am I going to get victory? Stop that. That's bad doctrine. The reality is you have victory, you just don't know it yet. You have victory, you just don't know how to live in it yet. You have victory, you just haven't seen it yet. And so to think, when am I going to get victory, should never be in a disciple's mouth. 
We have the victory. It was won on the cross. Christ defeated the enemy. He crushed Satan's head. He defeated sin on the cross. He rose again on the third day. He defeated death. He did it all. And not only that, he overcame the world and everything in it. So there's nothing on this planet that's ever going to defeat us or defeat me. I don't ask, when am I going to get the victory? I begin to stand in the reality that I'm more than a conqueror, meaning I've won before the fight started because I'm in Christ and I have the victory. When we rise up into the position that was given to us at the cross, we begin to move differently. So much of my early discipleship was wasted. Oh God, when am I going to get over this? How long am I going to struggle? How long? Relationships. Oh Lord, would you remove them from staff, please? How long are they going to be? How long, right? And no, 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 no. Wrong posture. When are you going to change my wife? Wrong posture. She is my victory. Just kidding. That's not... Even if she doesn't change, that's not going to affect how I move. Because she got the victory when she said yes to me. She just doesn't, she doesn't realize it. Anyway, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. That was a joke, guys. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the what? Victory. Victory, victory. Through what? Through. So we have this victory through Christ. We are victorious. We have the victory. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be like a palm tree that bends and doesn't break, that grows up high, roots go down, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yeah, that's fruit, that's fruit, that's fruit. Knowing your labor is not in vain. If nobody changes, if nobody gets saved, if nobody comes to Christ, my labor's not in vain because I have the victory. They might not want the victory, but I have the victory. And I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to give them God's word because I trust Isaiah 55, 11, so, so the word comes out of my mouth. It will not return void. So I don't ever move off of the word. In fact, listen, my dependence is not in my oratory skills of the word. My dependence is in this. It's 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7. It says that we can water and plant all we want, but God gives the increase. So as I stand in the victory, trusting God's giving the increase, I don't have to worry about the response. And you guys, listen. Oh, I hope I get this job. I hope to get this job. No, no, listen. If my boss is smart, he's going to give me the job because he's going to be seeing victories all around him. He doesn't realize that I'm walking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so God, if he doesn't give me this job or promotion, hey, bless him. But open his eyes someday. Open his eyes. It's, it's amazing to see as well with the palm tree that represent victory. Actually, let's go there. Revelation 5.5. 5. What did Jesus ride onto Jerusalem? What were they throwing down on the ground? 
Palm branches. Why? Victorious king, victorious king. Revelation 5.5, 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no, whore, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? Conquered. If you stand in Christ, you have conquered as well. There's no obstacles for the Christian, only opportunities. So that he can open the seals. Go to Revelation 7.9, please. Revelation 7, 9. And so here's the saints. We're in heaven. We're glimpsing what's going on in heaven. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number. From what? Every nation. From all tribes. From all peoples. And from all languages. They're standing before the throne and the Lamb clothed in white robes with what in their hands? There you go. Why? Why? Because the lamb has won. The lion has conquered. He is worthy. He has the victory. And these palm trees, they represent victory and they represent conquest. This is who we are, guys. And and listen, some of you are like, man, Chris kind of, You seem kind of arrogant there talking about all that stuff. I don't want you to get this twisted. I am less than dirt. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. If I do things in my own strength, I'm going to fail. But it's when I put my faith in the victorious one that I begin to have victory. And I pray the attributes, I'll give them to you one more time if you're taking note. The the palm tree grows exceptionally high. Its roots go extremely deep. You are planted, you are planted, disciples, Psalm 92, 12, in the house of the Lord. The second thing is that palm trees bend, but they don't break. And so understand, no matter what comes your way, you're not going to break if you just stand in Christ. You're going to bounce back. No matter what storms happen, you're going to bounce back. And the third thing is that the palm tree is a sign of victory and conquest. Victory and conquest. We have the victory because Christ won the victory. Apart from Christ, we don't have the victory. It is only in Christ that we have the victory. The victory over what? Everything in this life. Back to Song of Songs, 7b. And your breasts, they are like clusters. And again, look up here so you can get your mind right, okay? That's, that's what you want you thinking about. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. And so again, the king is talking. He's talking to his bride. I'm going to climb the palm tree and lay hold. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine. Now, we're in the final two chapters here. Breasts are listed six times in the final two chapters. So the grand finale is a lot of talk about breasts. Now, I want to remind us 
Titus 1.15, to the pure all things are pure, so we need help. We need help. But there's two practical things that I want you to get from breast. First of all, breasts produce nourishment for others. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 that we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, that's a dude talking, but he's saying, I love you so much that I was with you like a mother nursing her child. And so giving nourishment, man, babies, newborns have to eat every three hours. Uh, it, uh, the, 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 the mom is, is, is tired. They take, take, take. They don't say thank you when they're little, that they look so cute. <laughs> Sleep defri- deprived, and also there's pain that's involved. And so I've only heard about that, but there's pain that's there with the little chompers chomping. And so we are to be people that nourish. I want you to just jot down John 15. Jesus says this, whoever, verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he it is that bears much fruit. So when we abide in Christ, we are going to bear fruit. We are going to nourish others. Not only does Jesus, doesn't only stop there, but he goes on to John 15, 16, and he says, I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Every Christian who is in Christ is appointed by Christ to go and produce that kind of fruit there. That on your life, the nations can drink. In your life, through your life, the nations can be satisfied. The nations can grow through you, through you. And so he's saying to this bride that's mature, there should be some nourishment coming out of you. Now, the second thing that I want you to get with breasts is this, is that there is a satisfaction and a joy A satisfaction and a joy. I want you to jot down Proverbs 5.19. Proverbs 5.19, it says this. It says, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Now, some of you husbands, your wives get mad at you. Is that all you think about? Yeah, Proverbs (laughs) 5.19, I delight at all times. I'm obeying the Bible. (laughs) See, guys, this is why you got another word, baby. Come on. What is wrong with you? It says, be intoxicated always in her love. So always intoxicated, yeah, always intoxicated. So listen, not only are you supposed to be someone that has clusters and you're producing so others can be filled, nourished, and fed, but also there's an aspect of satisfaction that God has over you. He delights in you. He sings over you. He loves you, not because you're working for him, not because you're serving at Urban Youth Impact, not because you're doing this, not because you're doing... No, he likes you for you and he's intoxicated by your love there is an enjoyment in our relationship with the Lord he enjoys us 
See, see, a lot of us have a hard time, and myself included, right, because we want to serve God, serve God, die to yourself, serve God. Listen, all that's true, but at the end, Jesus says to his disciples right before he's crucified, I no longer call you servants, but I call you what? Friends. You're my friends. Why? Because I want you working for me? No, because I like you with your quirky personality. I like you. The satisfaction of God and his people. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want you to go to 8B, please. 8B, Song of Songs 7, 8B. It says, in the sin of your breath like apples. Well, why is her breath smelling like apples? Thanks for asking. Go to Song of Songs 2-3. Song of Songs 2-3. It says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. And she's talking about him. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me is Love, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples because I'm sick with love. So why does her breath in chapter 7, verse 8b, smell like apples? Because she's beginning to take on his scent and his aroma because of their union. She is becoming like him in every way. When my brother was a teenager, he worked at McDonald's, and every time he came home from work, I wanted to eat him. (laughs) And then I would get angry when I smelled him. Why didn't you bring me something, bro? (laughs) Disciple. Are you exuding the fragrance of Christ, not because you're trying to, but because you've been spent so much time in his presence, giving and receiving of love, so much time in his word that when you speak, this verse comes to my mind. People ask you a question. This verse comes to my mind. This verse comes to my mind. This verse comes to my mind. Why? Because you've moved off what you think, because really people don't need to know what you think. They want to know what God's word says. Here's an apple. We don't want to throw apples. We want to, we want to hand the apple. Here's Hudson Taylor. This is what he says about this passage. He's one of my heroes, by the way. How wonderful the grace that has made the bride of Christ to be all this to her beloved. Upright as the palm, victorious, increasingly fruitful as she grows heavenward. She is gentle and tender as the vine, self-forgetful. Man, ask God, God, give me the gift of self-forgetfulness. What a beautiful gift. She's self-sacrificing. Not only does she bear fruit in spite of adversity, but she bears the richest fruits through it, feasting on her beloved. She rests beneath his shade. Song of Songs 2-3. She partakes of his fragrance. Grace has done so much for her, and her joy increases as she sees the bridegroom's satisfaction in her, the lowly wildflower he has made into his bride. 
He has made her beautiful with his own graces and his own virtues. This is what God does. This is what he does. Verse 9. And your mouth is like the best wine. The best wine? What does that remind you of? You can shout it out. Wedding, Cana, first miracle. So let's go there. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. There's a friend of mine. I won't mention her name because many of you know her. She was going to an art class where it was called like a, like a, I don't know, painting and wine or something, sips and strips, I don't know what it was, <laughs> sip and strokes, okay, whatever it was, I didn't go, okay, <laughs> and so you're supposed to bring, you know, some wine as you paint for a few hours, and so she's, she's like, you know, I can't drink, bring a whole bottle, right, I don't want a DUI, so here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to get a water bottle, I'm going to put the wine in it, and just half, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, a couple glasses, and I'm putting it in the water bottle, and I'll go. And as she's driving in her car, she's thinking, man, what if I get pulled over? I got an open container. I just broke the law. And so she thought to herself, if the officer comes up, man, why is there uh, wine in the water bottle? She's, she's like, then I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, Jesus did it again. <laughs> he did it again. It's a miracle. Anyway. Oh, that was rich. So, John chapter 2, verse 11, it says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and the wine ran out. The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to do. And I want you to highlight verse 6. There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to a certain, servants fill the jars of water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, had now become wine and did not know where it came from. The servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. But then when people have drunk freely... Then they bring out the poor wine, or the cheap wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. I want to give you a number of points around this, right? Because Jesus is saying to the bride here, your mouth is like the best wine. It's like the best wine. And so the first miracle that Jesus did was a wedding. It was a wedding. Do you know what we're waiting on? And that, that wedding miracle was prophetic because we're waiting on as saints to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus said, on the Last Supper, I'm not going to drink the fruit of this vine until then. 
So Jesus is not drinking anymore until then. There's going to be wine at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're waiting for that. And so the very first thing he did pointed to the consummation of all things. Another reason why this miracle was important is because this was this first thing. He's speaking, I believe, he wants to marry us. He came to marry us. He came to celebrate us as a wedding. He didn't come and say, what's wrong with you? He didn't come and say, you sinner. He didn't come and say all of these things. He did this, this, this miracle because, because, because he wants to marry us. It represents that, the very first thing. Number three, this represents grace. It represents grace because eventually he did say, you sinner. But the grace looked past our rebellion. It looked past what we did wrong and declares, I want to marry you. Now, I want you to go to verse 6 here of of John chapter 2. It says, six stone water jars there of the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Why is that important? Well, if you do the math... A 20-gallon container would be about 166 pounds. A 30-gallon container would be about 250 pounds. And so if you average those out, it comes up to 208 pounds. And by the way, that's kind of a healthy man. And I believe this speaks to the size of humans, 20 to 30 gallons, that I want to take your ordinary water life and I want to make it the best wine. I want to make it the best wine. Now, understand Song of Songs chapter 7, verse 8. It says, and your mouth is like the best wine. You're supposed to produce something so good and so lovely. It is like the best wine coming out of you so that people will say, wow, wow, that is good stuff. What happened to you? Wow, I would like to be intoxicated by whatever you're selling. Oh, yeah, I go to Bow Down Church. Just kidding. That was a joke, guys. You point them to Jesus, not the church. Although the church is the body of Christ. Anyway. I want you to understand, Christian, because of the gospel, God has turned you into the best wine. And so he's saying about her, you, my beloved, you, my beloved, you, my beloved, your lips, your mouth, they are like the best wine. We're going to switch gears next week to how she responds. How she responds. And again, I encourage you to read ahead. Worship team, come on up, please. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the transforming power of the gospel. The transforming power of the gospel that can take ordinary water and turn it into wine. Lord, we pray, God, what we've read today about the palm tree, 
about the wedding, about the wine, about this, God. I, I, Lord, I just, I just pray for those who aren't experiencing that, that they would desire that kind of transformation in their life. So God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray that the first miracle would remind them that you want to marry them. But in order for you to marry them, you had to take away their sins on the cross so that they could be with you. And I pray, God, that if they've never given their life to you today, that they would do that today, that they would respond, that they would understand it's a wedding that's taking place. That they would say, I'm sorry, Jesus, because I've sinned against you, and I thank you for dying for my sins. Help me not to sin anymore. I turn from my ways, and I put my faith and trust in you and the finished work of the cross. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be married to you, Jesus. I want to be one with you, Jesus. I believe you rose from the dead, and that you want to live inside of me forevermore. So come now, Jesus, the resurrection and the life. I want to be born again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and take my ordinary water and turn it into wine. I'm deciding today to follow you, Jesus, to put my faith in you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. Come and be my God and my Savior my king and my husband. I want my life to be found in yours forevermore. In Jesus' name. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.